What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. I, I do think that there are, uh, I guess, ties in social media. Whilst I love that social media has given us the ability to connect, you know, on a global scale, um, it has made life, you know, so much better for so many reasons. But I also think that it has uh, probably uh, enhanced this, you know, this ideal of what a, you know, a body should be like. Um, and not just like your physical body, I'm talking about like your, you know, facial complexion, um, you know, the materialistic things that, um, you know, are fun to strive towards. Mm -hmm. But I think it allows for a lot more comparison um, and self-comparison is so dangerous. And I think one of the first things that I have most of my clients do is, any pages and any uh, groups, organizations, whatever it is, businesses that you follow that, you know, cause you to feel, um, you know, less than you are um, and make you feel, you know, insuperior, then you need to stop following those types of accounts and jump on board the ones that are, you know, promoting self-care, that are promoting you being worthy exactly as you are. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. This is In Liberty and Health, and I have a very, very special guest today, somebody that I've followed for quite a while and I think is one of the uh, voices for absolute good in the nutrition industry, which is very, very sorely needed. I have uh, Miss Holly Baxter here with me today. How are you doing? I am doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> of course. Well, um, why don't you give yourself a, a little introduction so that way my audience knows who you are. I'm sure some of them do, but perhaps not also. Uh, go ahead. The floor is yours. Yeah. So uh, I guess my uh, credentials are in dietetics. So I went to school for uh, food science and nutrition, and I have a master's degree in dietetics. Um, but my background is super interesting. Um, and I think I've kind of weaved all over the place, but it's landed me now. Uh, I guess we're sitting here in oh, already May 2023. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, the year has gone so quickly. It has. Um, but right now, as it stands, I would call myself an online uh, nutrition science communicator. So uh, the road that got me to that place, though, uh, has been paved with uh, lots of different types of sport, 
Uh, I was really active as a kid. I did track athletics, uh, played basketball. Um, but I guess kind of growing up in Australia, you don't really have a whole lot of opportunities, at least not as a female, uh, to get into sport. So the next best thing was really, okay, well, how can I fuel sport better? And <laughs> we'll go into the nutrition space. So um, I've done that uh, and then found myself in bodybuilding um, or competing as a bikini fitness competitor. Um, and that was really by chance. I knew nothing about the industry, um, you know, back then. Um, and it was just uh, some of my clients that I was, you know, doing the nutrition programming for uh, had kind of, you know, introduced me and said, hey, you know, you'd probably be, you know, really good at this. Um, and I ended up competing at the World Championships in Dubai uh, in 2015. That was my first big competition. Uh, and I have continued to compete as a competitor for, uh, I guess, the last several years. So my most recent competition was 2022, um, and I was at World Championships again uh, for the WBFF. Um, but it has not necessarily been a smooth journey for me. And I think, you know, maybe some of the value um, to the listeners that are kind of tuning in today um, will be some of the experiences I think that I've had, you know, throughout that process and just the self-learning, you know, overcoming uh, what I would say was a really severe eating disorder. Mm -hmm. um, I've had, a, you know, a pretty traumatic uh, upbringing and, you know, it's all kind of created the person uh, that I was and thankfully I've kind of been able to come out the other side so uh, I've got a good mixture of uh, I guess experience. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah um, one thing that I've been kind of learning a lot about lately is specifically mm -hmm. eating disorders and um, as a person who is formerly carnivore for about two years um, it, it's really hard to recognize disordered eating until you're kind of out of that space and then realize what that actually looks like um, and for me, that was, you know, you, I would eat 1800 calories of just straight up ground beef and steak throughout the week. And then my wife and I, girlfriend at the time, would go out to dinner or something like that. And then I ended up face first and all the ice cream and cheesecake and everything like that. And I would just feel like the worst human being alive because I knew, you know, hey, I can't have these carbohydrates because they're making me fat and this is so bad for me. And you know, over the course of two years, I just remember doing that over and over and over again. And I feel like a lot of people who get into the nutrition space or learn about this stuff, see the hot take of, you know, oh, carbs make you fat, fat makes you fat. Um, they see these hot takes on TikTok or whatever, and then they cling to that diet group. And then that really sends them down a bad path. And um, one thing that I've really admired about you in particular is that you've been kind of open about that. And you've also kind of pushed against that and tried to tell people like you need to have a better relationship with yourself and with your diet and how you kind of look at this holistically rather than, you know, just looking at nutrition in, you know, one light. So, you know, obviously, like I said earlier, um, I've really tried to tell people you shouldn't put morality to food. And I think a lot of your message kind of encircles that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, there's so much to unpack there. I think, you know, it makes sense from like a, a human, like evolutionary standpoint as to, you know, why we, we find ourselves like being attached to, you know, a particular style of diet. I think ultimately, you know, if we're to look at our core values and the things that really give us a sense of purpose mm -hmm. um, for the most part. And I, I would assume for most people, it's having, you know, strong connections, having, you know, deep relationships and like the sense of belonging. 
So it's really easy to see why, you know, if you uh, cling to this group, whether it's the carnivore diet or the intermittent fasting diet or, you know, flexible dieting um, diet, um, you know, there's there's a group of people, there's this tribe mentality and, you know, you get this sense of, you know, support. So I, I do understand and I think, you know, it's kind of, I think having that compassion and that empathy or just recognizing why people kind of do this, it kind of, it, it makes it easier to kind of break down what's really going on. But mm -hmm. um, you're exactly right. There are so many different kinds of diets. And I think, you know, over the years, I've personally tried nearly every, every kind of diet. Um, and some of them have, you know, worked well, others have not, you know, been sustainable. And what we do know now from a scientific standpoint is that there are so many different dietary approaches that can work and can be really successful. So I think, you know, there's so much value in experimenting and exploring, you know, what of these diets work best for your lifestyle. But, you know, the piece that's usually missing for a lot of individuals that don't have that nutrition science background is the why. Why is that diet successful? Uh, and ultimately, every diet can be successful, provided that is putting you into a calorie deficit um, and providing that you're, you know, eating an adequate amount of, you know, protein, then how you distribute your remaining carbohydrates and fats uh, is really up to you. Now, there might be some small nuances that uh, might give you a little bit of an advantage. So, you know, a quick example of that might be, um, you know, intermittent fasting might not be the best approach to your nutrition if your goal is to maximize muscle gain. So, you know, maybe you're training at six o'clock in the morning and then you go to work and maybe you don't eat your first meal until sometime in the afternoon. And perhaps you're only having two large meals. So would I say that's the best type of diet for building muscle? No, uh, you'd be best to go based on the research, which says, you know, maybe three to five meals spread equally throughout the day. Every meal has some protein. Right. Uh, so you can kind of turn on, you know, some of those regulatory pathways that signal your muscle to grow. Mm -hmm. But if that doesn't work for your lifestyle, if you've got a really crazy job where you're on your feet, you have to be go, 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 and you can only do, you know, two meals a day well then that's the best that you're going to get unless you want to change your career um, and I think you know another example um, is some of the research that's come out on uh, I guess timing of uh, meals or timing of calories so there was um, one particular paper that I can think of um, that looked at the differences in total daily energy expenditure uh, between uh, two different groups one group would eat most of their calories in the morning uh, and then the other group would eat most of their calories in the evening um, and there was actually a slight benefit to the group that consumed a greater percentage of their daily calories in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, so basically what, I'm, what that means is that your body is able to, I guess, break down uh, and metabolize that energy and expend more calories doing so mm -hmm. in the mornings. So, you know, that would lead some people to go, well, perhaps I shouldn't be eating, you know, late at night if it means that I'm going to be, you know, burning less calories to do that. Mm -hmm. But if your personal preferences um, do not suit that style of eating and you end up overeating at the end of the day because you're so hungry after eating more in the morning, like that's not a good trade-off. So, you know, sometimes you've got to find the compromise because science can say one thing, but it doesn't make it practical for everybody. So, yeah, I think there, that's, that's the really good news is there's so many different dietary approaches that can work.
Yeah, the the one thing that's kind of been frustrating is to see keto being so. I don't even want to say necessarily artificially boosted, but it's really been kind of put to the forefront. And I feel like this really hurts because carbohydrates are very, very satiating and very, very good foods, specifically for people who are looking to build as much muscle as possible. And you're missing out on a lot of like just enjoyable foods when you cut out carbohydrates. And now <laughs> you see everything's being labeled like cooked in this certain oil because, you know, seed oils are so bad for you, right? <laughs> and, you know, it has stevia and monk fruit instead of sucralose or ACE-K. Um, but people are missing out on a lot of very, very satiating foods that could help them, you know, not only stay on their diet, but, um, you know, also enjoy their diet a lot more because, you know, what do you hear from a lot of people that do keto? Well, I do great when I'm on keto. And my question after that is always, well, why can't you stay on keto then? Mm -hmm. That should be the question that you're always asking because, you know, does it really matter if you can lose the weight if you can't keep it off? I mean, that's yeah. kind of the goal at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny. I actually did a ketogenic diet for about six months, um, several years ago, uh, for some health reasons. And I, I've got to say, it was it was fun for me in the sense that I back then I had time to cook. I don't don't anymore, but it gave me you know some an opportunity to experiment with some new foods, and you know I got to put some of those in some of my recipe books. So you know there was there was a positive like I guess business uh, I guess outcome from that, but you know, I couldn't have stuck to that long term uh, because I do really enjoy carbohydrates and I don't want to have to, you know, bend over backwards to kind of recreate, you know, my, my favorite dessert um, with, you know, fat, fat, high fat products. So <laughs> I, I personally just prefer to have a balanced diet where, you know, after my protein has been equated for or accounted for, the remaining calories are, you know, pretty even between fats and carbs. Now, there are going to be certain days where I might choose to eat, you know, a higher fat, um, you know, menu. For instance, I might make a dish that's got lots of uh, full fat cream in it. Or one day for lunch, you know, rather than having a regular meal, I might be out with girlfriends and I'm going to have a cheese platter. So it's basically all fat and, you know, very low carbohydrates. So I just kind of balance out my calories um, depending what I'm in the mood for. And you can do that. Um, but I think the interesting thing is that, you know, people who have tried or experimented with different types of diets, um, when they go to the ketogenic diet, um, they do potentially have some pretty rapid success, uh, mm -hmm. at least in the initial few weeks, right. because once you've removed those carbohydrates from somebody's diet, um, the amount of weight loss just from water alone is really substantial. Right. Um, so you've got to think about it like you've got a, let's say you've got a full balloon of water. So imagine that balloon is representing your muscle and the glycogen that's stored inside your muscle tissue. So, you know, you take away a, a major food group like carbohydrates, well, now that balloon shrinks all the way down. And for every one gram of carbohydrate that we uh, lose or we consume, there are 2.7 mils of water either stored inside the muscle tissue or lost if you are in uh, a calorie deficit. So, you know, there's, there's big fluctuations in body weight um, when we kind of go through these transitions. And I think uh, without that knowledge, a lot of people will go, well, why did keto work so well for me so quickly? You know, when I try and diet with carbohydrates, 
you know, things don't really, you know, work so well. But we're not actually looking at fat loss. What we're seeing there is actually a change in someone's total body water. So I think, you know, there's so many things that influence your body weight uh, that people don't know about. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, changes in your dietary fiber are really um, like significant in the way of how it affects your weight on the scale. Mm -hmm. Um, If you eat five or seven grams more fiber one day compared to the previous, you will absolutely weigh more on the scale that next day. Um, same goes for um, someone that's got a menstrual cycle, you know, one to 2% of a change in total body weight is pretty normal for most women. And most women don't know that. Um, so when they see their weight kind of moving around, you know, they're really, really like afraid. Um, and it might actually have nothing to do with body fat gain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, progesterone and estrogen are the main culprits there. And for women, you know, halfway through their menstrual cycle, um, so around the time of ovulation, um, progesterone peaks. And that progesterone is one of the main causes or drivers of increased appetite. Mm-hmm. So you naturally get a little bit more hungry and you retain more water. So for a woman, you know, every two weeks, you're probably going to see some weird stuff going on on the scale. And that has nothing to do with body fat. So, um, yeah, I think it's really important to kind of get educated about all of the influences. So I know I've digressed a little bit. You probably have to redirect me back to what we were chatting about. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Um, one thing that you kind of brought up towards um, um, something earlier was the eating at night versus eating in the morning. Um, I remember when I was doing carnivore, initially I had started fasting and I skipped my breakfast. And what I found is that I would have, I was beginning to get really, really hungry in the morning. And now Mm -hmm. I've kind of switched over to more of a flexible approach to dieting. And I typically do eat a pretty large breakfast and I find that does well for me. Um, Could it possibly be when people eat at night that maybe they're still digesting food in the morning? So that could have altered the results of um, kind of that experiment. That's been something that I've kind of kicked around in my mind because I think some people think, oh, well, you know, I should just eat at night. But then, you know, that may potentially interrupt the way that you're sleeping because if you have like a big bolus of protein and fat, then you may still be digesting some food while you're sleeping, which may raise your body temperature and make it a little bit hard for you to get into more restful stages of sleep. I am stoked to tell you guys about the show's new sponsor. I am now working with MTS Nutrition, which is a brand that I've believed in for a very long time, and they run awesome cells and they have awesome products. So um, I want to tell you about their amazing protein powder, which you're going to ask me how many pounds I have of the protein powder, and the answer is all of them. So here I got red velvet cake, 25 grams of protein, and they have the amino acids and everything on there, 59 servings. Peanut butter fluff, uh, fluffer nutter, 26 grams of protein, and then also the chocolate chip cookie, which literally has real pieces of chocolate chip cookie in there. So 27 grams of protein, 180. As I've talked about on the show, getting your protein is very, very important. So make sure you hit that link below and purchase your protein powder through MTS Nutrition. Boom! Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm going to say straight up, I don't know. That's definitely not my area of expertise, uh, but I can certainly um, talk to talk about it with the information that I do know. So um, I know that a high or having a high calorie meal right before bed, um, uh, particularly, you know, protein, um, it can have that effect. So I think if, if we're looking at uh, your, I guess, fat loss outcomes, for instance, if that is then going to start interfering with your ability to get a quality night's sleep. And we know 
uh, small sleep disruptions, even as little as say 30 minutes to your normal circadian rhythm, that actually influences your appetite regulating hormones the following mm -hmm. day. So I rise was that little. Yeah, you'll you'll oh. see a drop in somebody's leptin levels and you'll see an increase in their ghrelin. Mm -hmm. So even though nothing changed about the total amount of calories you might have consumed that previous day, mm -hmm. because you ate more in the evening, um, and then maybe that did have an impact on your ability to sleep well, it actually is going to set you up for failure potentially the wow. next day just because of the appetite regulation uh, and those hormonal fluctuations. So I think it's probably important to consider those things. Um, you know, what I say to my clients is don't, don't eat right before you're climbing into bed. Um, <laughs> it does do that. And I'm, I, I'm a hot sleeper. I need, I have my like, fan <laughs> set at like 60 degrees and yeah. I've got a fan on my face. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I would always leave a little bit of time before I go to bed um, to allow for that kind of um, digestion mm -hmm. and then for your body to naturally shift into that rest and digest. Um, state. So yeah, I know my wife's very, very similar as well. It's usually pretty much as soon as we go into the bedroom together, she's uh, like, oh, I'm just so hot. So <laughs> turn down the AC a little bit. Um, so another thing that we were kind of talking about a little bit earlier is uh, eating disorders. And um, like I said, it's kind of frustrating because when you try to share information about um, an important topic and you're not giving your hot take, it doesn't get anywhere near as many eyes as you think it should. But, you know, if you just say something real quick that gets everybody eyes, then, you know, they, they care about that. But though, when you tell people like, Hey, eating disorders have the highest mortality out of any disorder that there is like, mm -hmm. that is huge. And when you have people telling other people that like, Hey, this food's going to kill you, this food's going to kill you. Like you could see why people get so freaked out about eating certain things and how that could complement itself to disordered eating and then eating disorders and, um, you know, as you kind of talked about a little bit earlier, you struggled with that a little bit. So um, perhaps you could enlighten the audience on kind of what that's like and to kind of come through the other side successful. Yeah. So uh, I guess when I was really young, um, I had a, some, some horrible experiences. And I think um, the one that I, I'm open and happy to share with you guys is uh, one of my very first training coaches. So I was, um, I guess, competing at a pretty high level for athletics. And my coach at the time uh, was also the coach of the uh, former Olympian 400 meter track medalist. Um, she was an Australian, actually. Um, and I guess there was a couple of moments where during our training sessions, he would make comments about my, my body composition. And looking back now, I was like a very healthy body weight. I would be still on the lower side of normal. And I remember him saying, you know, Holly, you, you need to lose some body fat. You know, it's slowing you down. We need to get, we need to get you more muscular. Um, and I think at the time I was, you know, about 16 or 17, I had a lot of other, you know, estranged relationships at the time with my parents, mm -hmm. um, some other things kind of going on. And I just, I had zero confidence uh, anyway. I felt completely out of control. So I think my response to the, the stress that I was going through and, you know, those kind of negative comments about my body, it was like the one thing, um, you know, my body was the one thing that I could control. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from there, I kind of took that really seriously. And my, uh, I guess, relationship with food absolutely plummeted. I was anorexic for about six seven months and then it kind of became binge eating disorder and bulimia so uh, if anyone that's listening doesn't know what bulimia is that is uh, purging after you eat um, and that went on for 15 years for me 
Uh, and this was happening while I was doing my undergraduate. It was happening while I was doing my master's degree. And I think because I was in this space where, you know, you should have your stuff together. Like you're, you're the expert in nutrition. Why? And then, so I felt so much shame and so much guilt um, because I thought I should know how to manage this. It's like, I know what I should be eating. So why can't I do it? And I was, I completely ignored the fact that this is a psychological condition. You know, I was, uh, I had experienced trauma um, and I just wasn't joining the dots. And I don't, at the time, I didn't really have any positive influences to kind of help redirect me uh, or push to, you know, go and get expert help with a therapist. I also was a, you know, a struggling student. Of course, it's expensive to go and have therapy. So uh, I, it kind of got to the point where it, it took over my life. Um, I was probably purging three times a week. I was doing crazy amounts of exercise, um, you know, to try and control, you know, how my body looked. And my whole identity was wrapped up in my physical appearance. It was like I couldn't control anything else. And I felt like I had such little value. Um, you know, everything that I did was based on, or the, the only time I ever felt I had, uh, you know, love or acceptance from at least my family and peers um, was when I did something well. It was, uh, whether it was academic, my grades at school, uh, sporting performance, you know, how well I performed when I was, you know, singing and playing in bands. Like it was, that was the only time I ever felt a sense of, um, you know, accomplishment and, and love. So, you know, I've often referred to, to this as it was never um, unconditional love that I received. It was very conditional. So I kind of went through my adult life, kind of everything was a performance. Everything was done, um, you know, for the feelings of acceptance. And um, I really, my, my body and how it looked was the one thing that I felt like got the most, um, you know, acceptance. So... You know, I was a young PT at the time and I really felt like, um, you know, I had to be stage lean to be taken seriously. And I think also being female in a fairly male predominant industry back then, um, you know, it was almost like I had to do twice as much work to be, you know, listened to. So it, it actually set me up for, I guess, a not so positive route. So I went into bodybuilding for all the wrong reasons. Uh, it was almost like an excuse to, you know, continue this eating disorder. Uh, it was an excuse to, you know, be crazy about my exercise. It was an excuse to restrict. It was an excuse to, you know, to not eat and maintain this lean physique. So I think after like five or six years of competing, so I did all of my competitions with that eating disorder driving the ship. It was not so much about enjoying the process, it was the outcome that I cared about most. Mm -hmm. um, and I think as I kind of got to a very low point in my life, um, to the point of like suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation, so I, I kind of had this epiphany. It was like, I don't, when is this gonna stop ru ruling my life? Like food really is ruling and taking over my life. So um, I think through some the support of some really awesome mentors and then getting professional help. And it was every week for about four years, I'd wow. say now. And I still have a therapist, that same therapist. Um, and it's, you know, completely different things that we talk about. But 
that consistent amount of work to recognize, you know, where this eating disorder came from. And honestly, it was a symptom of my, you know, childhood trauma. That was, you know, the eating disorder manifested through because of all of these things that had happened, you know, when I was young. Mm -hmm. So it's so wonderful to be on the other side of all that. But I can tell you now, it was so much work. Um, I'd say it felt like taking 10 steps backwards um, the emotional roller coaster that you ride as you're uh, kind of going through your stages of healing. Um, but I, I'm so grateful that I did. And I am a huge advocate now for, you know, women and mental health groups, mm -hmm. um, women and mental health in general, and, you know, really pushing for anybody to recognize that, you know, you are more than a body. Um, you're, you are more than your physical appearance. And it took a long time for, for me, and I know it's taken a long time for many of the clients that I work with, to really accept that and to believe that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't know whether that answers your question. <laughs> no, no, it does, it does. Um, yeah, and, and that's incredible that you kind of made it through that because I, I couldn't imagine struggling with something, especially for that long and mm -hmm. the hardest part about that is that you can't stop eating, right? I mean, you, you have to continue. So um, it, it's it's a very, very delicate balance to walk. Um, so how, are, how many clients do you see that have eating disorders or disordered eating in your experience? Does it seem like a lot of people? And do you think it's, um, what do you think that's kind of coming from? Yeah, so I, I, I'd i say probably 50% of the clients that I work with now are coming to me with uh, either a history of an eating disorder or they're still experiencing symptoms of disordered eating. So there is a little bit of a difference between those two. Um, and I'd say that it has progressively gotten worse over the years. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do think that there are, uh, I guess, ties in social media Whilst I love that social media has given us the ability to connect, you know, on a global scale, um, it has made life, you know, so much better for so many reasons. But I also think that it has uh, probably uh, enhanced this, you know, this ideal of what a, you know, a body should be like. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Um, and not just like your physical body, I'm talking about like your, you know, facial complexion, um, you know, the materialistic things that, um, you know, are fun to strive towards. Mm -hmm. But I think it allows for a lot more comparison um, and self-comparison is so dangerous. And yeah. I think one of the first things that I have most of my clients do is, any pages and any uh, groups, organizations, whatever it is, businesses that you follow that, you know, cause you to feel, um, you know, less than you are, 
um, and make you feel, you know, insuperior, then you need to stop following those types of accounts and jump on board the ones that are, you know, promoting self-care, that are promoting you being worthy exactly as you are. Right. And I think it's important to differentiate, um, you know, having a fitness goal or a health and fitness goal, um, but then making it your identity. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people will say, well, isn't that hypocritical? Holly, you're still a nutrition coach. You are a dietitian and you're still competing. Like, you know, that's like the, the pinnacle of, you know, your body image. Like you're literally being judged by, you know, somebody on your appearance. Mm -hmm. And I've thought a lot about this. And what's been so wonderful for me to experience is that I'm not attached to the outcome anymore. I know I'm good whether I am, you know, 30 pounds above stage weight or I'm stage weight and I'm good anywhere in between. So I've stayed in the sport and I will continue to be in the sport to advocate for, you know, that self-efficacy for, you know, women that, you know, think that this is the only way for them to feel good about themselves, to, to feel that they're uh, enough and, it's, it's not the only way. And for many people, they completely neglect the psychological influence and the ability for you to achieve absolute like contentment and happiness without changing a dang thing about your body. Um, and I think psychological change is one of the hardest things. I don't know about you, but for me, if someone said, I want you to go and run five miles and then I want you to do 100 push-ups I know some kind of crazy workout yeah. uh, or if someone said the other choice is uh, you can do this psychological, you know, mindset work. It's going to take you twice as long um, and it's going to be just as difficult, but in different ways, which one will you choose? And I think I would always previously choose the, the physical route because right. I can push myself as hard as like, cry. Yeah. I remember throwing up after training mm -hmm. sessions, like multiple times because I go so hard. But the psychological change, like, oof, that's that takes a lot of commitment. And it's mm -hmm. it's kind of it's unknown for a lot of people. Like we don't have the skills to, you know, psych like um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? To critique ourselves and to to get through whatever it is that we need to get through. So mm -hmm. I I I really hope that, you know, with the work that me and my team are doing, we can kind of bridge the gap between you know nutrition and exercise science because there is a science to it mm -hmm. um, but you can have all the knowledge in the world I can tell you exactly how to diet whichever way you want to try but the big sticking point is are you able to change the behaviors and that starts often with what are you telling yourself what is that right. internal dialogue because what you believe is a direct reflection of how you act or how you respond. And then that's usually a direct reflection of your habits. Mm -hmm. So, so much of the uh, work that needs to be done is on the mindset. Mm -hmm. And there is a big gap between those two things right now in our in industries. So we're hoping mm -hmm. to kind of bring that all together. Well, I really, really appreciate that. And um, I think you do a very, very good job because I think you're a very personable and uh, friendly person. Whenever I, I know when you do Q&As, um, I think you give very, very insightful and positive answers. Um, <laughs> so I think that's really, really good. And, and I, I like that you brought up kind of like the psychological deal of it because like I think we all know that everybody has a problem with looking at their phone when they know they shouldn't be. And like you know that you shouldn't be 
but how hard is it to just put it down? Like it, it, it's actually a lot more difficult than we make it out to be. And, you know, the same thing goes for diet is that like, you know, you shouldn't, there are certain behaviors that may not get, get you towards your goal. And that's very, very difficult to change. Like, that's not just something that you can just wake up and say, you know, I did it like this past weekend. Um, well, for the last two weeks, I'm on a little bit of a diet break. So I'm back at maintenance calories for the last two weeks. And I set new records. You know, I deadlifted 500 pounds for three reps for the first time and then 530 pounds for the first time. And I'm like, this is awesome. But like, yes. you know, I may go out with my wife or something like that. And like, I'll be scrolling through Twitter. I'm like, this, is, this isn't time for that. Like, I should be enjoying myself with my wife. I, I shouldn't be doing that. So that's just kind of speaking to your point that mindset really is almost everything. It, it is. And you've got to be so intentional with it. But I think what's, what comes before that is your ability to be self-aware. Mm -hmm. uh, and today's, you know, everybody's so busy um, where because we're, you know, globally connected now. Right. I feel like for me, the work that I did 15 years ago, it was difficult. But I feel like the pressure to, you know, meet the demands now is even greater because I've got like 15 emails and then I've got to respond to the, you know, three different YouTube channels and four different Instagram pages. And then it's just wild. So we're all so busy. Um, and I think it's really hard to be mindful and to have that level of self-awareness when you're just so rushed all the time. Right. So I think part of the, I guess, uh, ability to overcome whatever the things are that you're struggling with, some kind of, you know, bad habit, um, starts with slowing down. So, you know, take the time to check in with yourself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, okay, what really are the things that are limiting me? What are my obstacles? What is getting in the way of me, you know, not hitting macro targets if you're somebody that flexible diets? Mm -hmm. um, and I think the biggest thing that I have found to be beneficial for me was time locking. I, I promise I'll bring this back <laughs> to what the original point. No, 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 go ahead. So, you know, when I'm working with clients and even this is what I've done for myself, mm -hmm. I kind of had to look at, okay, well, why aren't I able to successfully execute this goal? Whether it was something in business, um, getting something done on time, or whether it was something to do with my, you know, competitions and, you know, failing to hit macros. Um, and I started time blocking 15 minute windows. So every 15 minutes, and I did it for two weeks straight, I would just write in my calendar on just my Google calendar, what I was doing. <laughs> so it might've been like scrolling Instagram. Um, and then it might've been responding to DMs on Instagram, or it might've been, I don't know, um, uh, doing something on my phone, reading random emails that weren't important. So I think you kind of get where I'm going with this. So the whole day, you know, I'd map it out by 15 minute intervals. And then, you know, I kind of looked at, well, if these are my goals over here, if this business goal is as important as I say it is, and if my, you know, bodybuilding competition is coming right around the corner, you know, you need to be at a certain leanness to, to be successful. Um, where are you wasting time? So I kind of went through and I was like, wow, there's at least five or something hours, you know, every week where I'm just fart assing around. So mm -hmm. I started to get really specific with, you know, time blocking what I wanted to be doing. Um, right down to when am I meal prepping on the week? Because, you know, you make plans on the weekends. Um, you know, you've got to follow up on some emails or you've got to do some, you know, administrative type work. And then all of a sudden, you, there's no time left. You're tired, you're exhausted. It's dinner time on Sunday and a new week's about to start. 
So, you know, I would start to plan like so many of those things. And then all of a sudden I started actually being able to execute on my goals. Mm -hmm. So I do think that you have to be really intentional um, if you've got a habit that, you know, is not serving you well. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's sometimes you have to have those, um, I guess, reality checks because, and I've had this with clients, you know, they'll tell me this is really important to me and this thing's really important to me. And I'll have to say, you've got so many things that you do. How on earth do you think that you're going to, you know, lose this amount of weight mm-hmm. um, when you've only got three hours spare to do exercise in a week based on what you're telling me? Right. So it's not that that's a dumb goal. It's that we just have to um, rethink our timelines. All right, guys, um, I'm absolutely thrilled with the uh, show's new sponsor. Um, I am now sponsored and uh, have an affiliate through LMNT Electrolytes. Um, I have used these electrolytes for years. Um, Back when I used to do a lot of fasting, in fact, I used to drink, sometimes I want to say up to seven a day, seven little packets. So um, the packets are full of all the electrolytes you need to perform and hydrate yourself properly. Um, you need sodium for pretty much every single function in your body, despite what um, a lot of people may tell you. Um, sodium doesn't actually cause a lot of the issues that uh, people kind of would have you believe. So um, just real quick to give you a little bit of facts. Um, you don't need sugar to hydrate. Electrolytes and water don't require glucose to pass through the gut. The average American consumes over 60 pounds of sugar a year. And um, when it comes to athletic performance, um, you can actually lose up to seven grams per day in hot climate. So um, make sure you click on the affiliate link below to get all your hydration needs. And like I said, I'm super stoked to have these guys um, teamed up with the podcast and uh, just make sure you get your uh, electrolytes through Element. All right, guys, thanks. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you have to rethink your expectations. And if you don't like it, well, then something's got to (laughs) change. So, you know, I think... Part of what I what I do, I feel like with coaching is just helping people identify, you know, what are their um, obstacles, what are the things that are really impeding them, and then finding solutions. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing what happens when you start to kind of retrain somebody, yeah. um, the way that they're thinking about themselves, the, the way that they, you know, go about their day, their planning, mm-hmm. um, and then you start to really get awesome results because you're you're solving all the issues. Wow. Yeah, that's huge. Um, One thing that was uh, difficult for me to kind of understand was initially when I was learning about nutrition stuff, like you said, we're very, very fast paced is like, how do you separate good information from bad? And like somebody that's just kind of going into the nutrition world, they hear, as I was kind of saying earlier, like hot takes and they think that that's good. But then someone like you or maybe Brad Schoenfeld or somebody that's knowledgeable and willing to talk about the nuances of stuff, um, you guys don't have the hot take, right? You guys are willing to say, well, you know, there, there's a little bit more, more here than um, we uh, th- that we need to kind of dive in on. Um, what do you think is like the best way for people – to kind of get information that's not going to be, you know, BS, right? So like, like I said, when people are scrolling through TikTok, this is real nice and easy to just get real quick tidbits. Um, Whereas, like I said, someone like you may not be able to, and it's not a dunk, but it's like, you know, you're going to want to give people the full picture. 
Um, how do we kind of keep the curb as low as possible so that way people can kind of step up to achieve better health? This has been something that I've battled with a lot. It's really hard. And again, this is why I say um, I love social media because it's given people that are extremely knowledgeable um, and maybe unaccessible because they live in other countries a platform to share their message. But how do you differentiate someone, you know, that is extremely knowledgeable and they have a PhD with, um, you know, just somebody that's lean naturally, uh, they've got a busy job and they've done one competition and, you know, they they look great. So, you know, they must know what they're doing. (laughs) So I I think uh, credibility is everything. And it's so interesting. I remember um, the first time I ever hired somebody to work for me. Um, this is like probably, I don't know, over 10, 10 years ago now. Um, and I said to her, you know, what was the the main thing that, you know, drew you to, to, to my work and to what I'm doing? And she's like, I'll be honest, it was just what you looked like. And I was just like, wow, okay, well, I'm flattered. I'm flattered. But I'm like, oh, so you didn't know, you know, what I did for a profession? You didn't know that I had a, you know, BS in food science and nutrition or I had a master's degree or, you know, I I follow the evidence. And she's like, no, no, you just looked really good. And I'm like, are you serious? Sorry. I think, you know, people need to weigh more to, you know, what is somebody's academic background? So, mm-hmm. you know, you can do that pretty quickly by looking at the letters after their name, you know, what's their BS in, what's their master's degree in, um, and, you know, what are, if they've done a PhD, what was it in? Um, and I think it gets tricky there too because some people will potentially use that Uh, you know, those letters in front of their name. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of go a little bit off topic and they start talking about things they shouldn't be talking about. So a great example, uh, there's plenty of medical doctors out there that, Mm -hmm. yeah, they're very intelligent. (laughs) um, But, you know, then they start to step into the nutrition lane or the exercise science lane. Mm -hmm. And you've got people that have actually done PhDs in that very specific, you know, niche. That's all they do. They live, they breathe, they are living, they are like a living muscle. They know everything about it, right? And, um, you know, they don't have that level of experience. Like an MD just cannot have the same knowledge as a PhD. So I think making sure that the, the, the content that the person is delivering matches their credentials Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would probably say anybody that's really dogmatic about one particular thing and mm-hmm. their answers or their responses are very one directional. You know, you have to do this. You must follow this type of diet. This one is the best. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you hear that kind of language, I would say run. Um, <laughs> as always, like context is yeah. so important. So I... <laughs> I'm probably the, uh, the, when it comes to putting content out, I suck because I don't want somebody to misinterpret what I'm saying and apply my, you know, discussion on intermittent fasting with um, their uh, recent um, type 2 diabetes diagnosis Mm -hmm. when I'm talking about it from the standpoint of, you know, building strength and muscle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I really try to make sure that I provide the context first and then, um, you know, compared to what uh, is usually how you've got to finish those sentences. So, you know, uh, is the ketogenic diet um, the best diet for building muscle? Um, but we could say, well, you can build muscle on a ketogenic diet. Yes. But compared to what? Well, compared to a a diet that is inclusive of carbohydrate, 
ketogenic diet is actually inferior uh, when it comes to building muscle. So I think that's really important. Someone that provides context, somebody that does not always, you know, they're not dogmatic, they're very cautious. They may say it depends, or they might say, I don't know. Um, You know, they're the kinds of things that are going to point towards somebody that's Mm -hmm. evidence-based. Whereas I think individuals that don't have that educational background, uh, they they tend to really jump on that band camp and they don't know they don't know all the answers. So uh, yeah, they, they seem to have this super level of confidence, which <laughs> I don't know where it comes from, but even I still have a hard time um, talking you know about certain things because I don't want to say the wrong thing. It's like, um, I don't know what the- um, The Dunning-Kruger effect? Yes, the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's like you first learn that, but learn about something and mm-hmm. your confidence is up here. And then the more you, you learn about it, you're like, oh, wow, we really don't know a whole lot about this at all. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it goes too. And it's so frustrating because social media really does kind of incentivize that hot take and to put out a video and say, this is the one thing. I mean, you see it all the time. And then, you know, they'll get into the video. Oh, well, you should avoid all seed oil. You should avoid all artificial sweeteners. You should avoid all this. You should avoid all that. And, you know, kind of throughout the whole conversation, we've really laid it out that like, this is kind of what leads to disordered eating is that people get scared to put anything in their mouth. And I think it's just like such an unhealthy way to live. And I don't think everybody that's kind of putting out that kind of content has nefarious intent, but I really don't think they consider the full context and just how bad that can be for some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think um, that's probably one of the reasons why I am uh, not on TikTok. I I don't know that you know the subjects and the you know the topics that I enjoy talking about. There, they do require a pretty nuanced um, discussion, and you know it might be better suited to you know the podcasting platforms. And that's why I do fifty minute long you know YouTube videos because you know, it, it warrants further discussion. And I really had to stick to my guns with that. Um, I could easily, as a female in fitness, do what every single female in fitness does. I'm yep. probably overgeneralizing here, but, you know, the stereotype might be, you know, lots of selfies, um, just training. Um, they're not necessarily adding value. They might look cool. They've got cool sports clothes on. I don't know. They look pretty. But, you know, I'm really trying to stick to um, evidence-based information. And the consequence, and it's sad, is that my following does not grow at the speed of, you know, somebody that's constantly just putting out selfies. And I don't want to give in to that because I know how hard, um, you know, how how ba- the, the consequences of what putting up that bad information can do to people. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think we've got to educate about the negatives and the consequences of, you know, sharing, you know, information that you might not know is entirely correct. I think people need to be really mindful of, you know, how they refer to their bodies. I think people need to be really mindful of how they refer to other people's bodies and what, you know, what message are they portraying, um, you know, by sharing the content that they're sharing, you know, how might that influence somebody else? So, yeah, I've, I've really pulled back on the amount of like photo shoot photos that, you know, I put up on my social media page because I don't want people or anybody to ever feel, you know, less than about themselves because they see a, a picture of me with a bikini on. So right. now most of my stuff's just me in my homeless gym wear, 
just sitting around <laughs> or it's just a profile picture um, because I don't, I don't want to have to use my body um, for you to believe what I'm telling you here as truth. And yeah, it makes me really mad sometimes, but I also know that um, I go to bed and I sleep easy <laughs> because I'm doing what's right. But uh, yeah, I think it'll cotton on, it'll cotton on. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I think you're doing the right thing. So um, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, there's one more subject I wanted to hit on that uh, you kind of noticed uh, before we started rolling. Um, your life with music. Okay, so you said you sing, you play piano, and then you told me you also play guitar. Um, yeah. So what's kind of like your experience with that? Cause I was watching one of your workout videos actually on my drive home and uh, there was some heavier music in there, which I play for a band called a common crown. And we do have a female singer and we're, we're like alternative metal, um, yeah. not insanely heavy, but there's some heavier stuff in there. And you know, in that workout video, there was some heavier stuff. So I'm just yeah. kind of curious about like your interest in music. So I started singing when I was three. So oh, wow. I did song and dance from three to like 15 years of age. Um, and then when I got to high school, I was in an all girl uh, band. So I'm not even going to No, you know, what I should. It was my band was called Lavalia. I was a singer and we did like Hilary Duff. We did Avril Lavigne. We did like all of the punk rock girls. Uh-huh. Uh, and then when I got to college, um, I was in an old boy band and it was all alternate rock, like pretty, you know, a bit of emo, a bit of pop punk, but mm. mostly alternative metal. metal. Um, and I loved it. So we had like a, a demo CD, we uh -huh. used to play, uh, you know, at local bars. Mm -hmm. And then I've been on The Voice when I was really wow. young, did uh, Australian Idol. So... Yeah, I, I have had a lot of experience singing and playing the guitar. Um, yeah, I just bought myself a new piano because it's been too long, but I've just got to carve out some time to do it. Yeah, the, the, the um, one thing mindset-wise that always kind of helped me um, was saying that um, instead of saying, I don't have time for that, say it's not a priority. And yeah. I found that that kind of really helps me organize what things are important. <laughs> because like, if I say I'm not practicing guitar because I don't have time, yeah. you know, versus saying I'm not playing guitar because it's not a priority. I'm like, well, that's kind of fucked up because it's like, this, this is my life. I love doing this. Like actually uh, this weekend that we're um, recording this right now. So it'll be uh, May 7th. Um, yeah. My band's opening for Lita Ford, which is oh. like, yeah, for the second time. So um, I'm, I'm oh, super, you're super a female excited. Singer. I'm, I'm going to have to look you guys up. Um, and if you have cool music, I'm totally going to ask if you if I can put it over my over my videos. Oh, absolutely, you could. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, the intro to the podcast is one of our songs, but um, she's not singing. And I'm, I'm speaking over it, but yeah. yeah. Um, so you um, do you go to like any live music? Because I know you're down in what Saint Pete, right? Uh, I actually just bought a house in Fort Lauderdale. So I was originally okay. in Tampa, Florida, and so four and a half hour drive to the East Coast. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm in Fort Lauderdale now. So, um, but I've been to a lot of different bars around the places and have seen there's really good music at the most random like spots here. So um, I know that there's a spot in um, in St. Pete where I got to see uh, Seven Dust. They oh like, my I, god really yeah that's like he actually favorite. yeah their yeah. singer actually follows my singer on instagram i love seven dust they're one of my favorites 
Yeah, he follows me and his wife. I actually worked with Ashley um, before okay. too. Yeah, so yeah, I love heavy music. Um, it's the only type of music that I can train to. Um, I think you see people like, I don't know, dancing around the gym. I'm ready to like kill somebody. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I cannot lift heavy without some kind of alternate rock. So Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what was your uh, first, uh, yeah, okay. So what was your first concert then? Uh, first concert would have been, um, oh goodness, in Australia, uh, it was, what do they call it? It was all metal. So sound, it, um, I, not sound Soundwave. Sound oh, it is Soundwave? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Soundwave was definitely my first concert. Wow. Um, who have I seen in concert? I've seen Seven Dust, uh, All That Remains, um, <laughs> who else? Uh, As I Lay Dying, um, Breaking Benjamin, Taproot, um, oh, just, there's so many good ones, but, um, they're, they're so old. I think I stopped listening to music after like 2010. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Yeah. If, if someone would have told me Holly Baxter listens to all that remains and does her deadlifts <laughs> at the gym, I would have said there's no effing way or, or that you like seven dust because that's, uh, you know, yeah. I like grew up listening to that and I've seen them, I think three or four times and they're just so Incredible. All my PRs have been hit to the song uh, Face to Face by Seven Oh, no way. Yeah, so <laughs> that's definitely what I'm listening to. I I really love that. It's um it's good energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you ever uh, see yourself kind of getting back out there to play music or no? Look, I never say never. Um, mm -hmm. I think if I can get my business uh, set up to where I can afford myself some free time, because right now my priorities are reestablish my business and get it to the point where I can step away. You know, I don't want to have to be doing this forever. Right. Uh, and I absolutely would. The next thing that I would do would be, you know, going back into music uh, 100%. I've thought about just going and doing, you know, a couple of, I don't know, open mic nights. Uh, I've got friends that do play, except we're all too busy <laughs> doing other stuff. So I think when we, we retire, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm kind of jealous because I'm in southwestern Pennsylvania, but my wife and I did get married down in Florida um, okay. over in Sarasota. I think oh, the yeah. Name of the beach. Yep, yep. yeah. Beautiful. Yes, cool. the, the name of the beach escapes me, but um, I, I feel like all the bars down there and just obviously the weather, I feel like you could just go anywhere and there's like a good music scene. And I've had friends that told me like, hey, they go down there and they make a ton of money playing music. And like my band up here, we don't make a lot of money really, but I mean, mm -hmm. we've got to do cool gigs. Like I said, we've owned up for Lita Ford before. Um, back in 2020, I'll never forget, we opened for Steel Panther um, at the Butler Field. Over a thousand people. That was uh, just an experience that I'll I'll never forget in my life. So I'm sure you've experienced feeling the bass and stuff in your oh, chest. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's completely I... different when you're on stage and your drummer hits the snare and you just you yeah. feel it. It's uh -huh. it's so cool. <laughs> I think it would be a fun um like element to add to my social media because yeah. everything that I do is so serious <laughs> that I think it would be fun to like have an element of like music because everyone first off would be so shocked that I, I sing and play wow. guitar. So um, there's that element, but also because it's just so like, it just, that's like one of the things that really soothes my soul. Um, you know, you can get lost for hours, um, you know, cause you're just so into it. So. Mm. Yeah. Do you ever yeah. find yourself uh, sometimes if you're driving to work or something like that? Um, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but though sometimes I'm just like, I just need to just turn mm -hmm. on tunes and just mm -hmm. drift away and listen. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I guess they say music is good for your mind. <laughs> so, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, Holly, this has been a absolutely fantastic conversation. I can't wait to share this with everybody. And um, like I said, if you would have told me that Seven Dust was in your kind of top bands there, I would have said no F and Y. So yeah, that's <laughs> uh, that's really, really cool. Holly, where can everybody find you, what you're doing, and uh, keep up with you? Absolutely. So uh, my Instagram handle is Holly T Baxter and my YouTube handle, I've kept it real easy. It's exactly the same, um, but all of my uh, products and services. So I have a nutrition coaching app. I have a training app. I have a coaching team. Uh, we've got nutrition exercise scientists. We've got physical therapists, chiropractors. Uh, I still coach, uh, but all of that information, uh, our books and everything are all uh, linked in my bios. So yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time. I'm glad we could do this. And um, like I said, this has probably been one of the better podcasts I think I've ever done. Just uh, kind of spanned across all topics yeah. and uh, really kind of hammered home the eating disorder stuff, which I think doesn't get enough air. So um, yeah, if you don't got anything else, we'll close her out. That's all good. Awesome. Thank you, Holly. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.